please turn also to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. Our text for this morning is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. We'll begin reading from chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our blessed God, we thank you, Father, for you indeed have given us what is good in your word, that you have given us exceedingly great promises, that you have given us that which is good in your son, Jesus Christ, that he fulfilled the law on our behalf because we are completely incapable of obeying the law. And Father, we thank you that his death on the cross paid the price for our sin, that his perfect righteousness that he gave to us as a gift, and that you call us to receive it by faith, that you, the mighty God, are the one who lays down the terms of peace. And this is the good news of the gospel. May we, your people, embrace it. May we believe upon it. May we trust in Jesus Christ. That his sacrifice is sufficient for us. That his righteousness is uh, perfect. And it cannot be added to by our works. Father, we pray that we would trust in you. That we would repent of our sins. That we would forsake them. That we would turn away from them. Instead, that we would cling to Christ. Father, we pray that you might remind us. That we who are far off. We who are rebels against you, that you, by your grace, through your Son, call us to be sons and daughters, will the full rights as your children. Father, we thank you for your exceedingly great generosity. We pray, Father, that any of our here who do not know you would pray that you might do a mighty work, transforming hearts and lives, turning sinners to the good news of Jesus Christ. May we find him to be the greatest treasure. And Father, we pray that your son, Jesus, would be exalted and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There is an Old Testament passage in 1 Samuel, a story about this man named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was a son of Saul, but specifically a son of Jonathan. 
And after David became king and he established peace, he thought about the covenant that he made with Jonathan. And he asked around, said, is there anyone left in Jonathan's household that I may show him kindness because of this covenant? And there was this one man, Mephibosheth, who was left, but they were told he is crippled in both feet. And what we are told is that King David sought out this man, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, hearing about the rival family king, assumed that he would be stricken dead, that he would have been uh, eviscerated and, and brought to shame. And instead, here, King David said, no, I love your father, Jonathan. I made a covenant with him, and I'm here to show you kindness for his sake. And here, of all people, a crippled man was brought into the king's presence and were told that he ate at the king's table just like David's sons. And you think about that picture. Perhaps some of you are thinking, no, I, I'm, I'm able in both my legs, both my feet. I'm not a cripple. But if you think for a moment spiritually what that means... Here was Mephibosheth, one who was a cripple. But we who are spiritually dead have no merits of our own. And that we can eat at the king's table just like his son, Jesus Christ. But it's not because of anything we've done. It's because Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our co-heir, was willing to share that privilege with us. It's because of Christ that we have a place at the king's table, at God's table. And I hope you can see that this adoption that God gives to us through his son, that this indeed is a gracious act of God. None of us can claim, Lord, you ought to adopt me because I have all these gifts and abilities. When instead we ought to say, Lord, we only have demerits. And it's only because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He willingly shares his inheritance with us that we can be called your sons and daughters by faith. In this book of Galatians, here we have a letter. And when you think about how quickly a people can depart from the good news of the gospel, this is exactly what's happened to the churches in Galatia. That he begins by saying in, Roman, in, in Galatians chapter 1, that whether it be him or an angel of heaven, if they brought to them a gospel other than the one that he preached to them earlier, he said, let them be anathema. And he asked them this question in Galatians chapter 3. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Meaning, did you, did you earn the spirit or did it come to you by God's grace and that you embraced it by faith? And here, his concern for them is that they who embraced the gospel so quickly could easily lose it. And this is a concern for every one of us, that we do not enter God's household by his grace and, uh, and then try to keep it by works. No, God receives us as his children by faith, and it is by his grace and his sovereign power that we continue. It's not by our works. It's not by our effort. So here we see in this passage... God redeems you from slavery to sin to be his adopted children with all the essential privileges and duties. God redeems you from slavery to sin to be his adopted children with all the essential 
privileges and duties. We'll look at this in three points. The first is the price of adoption in verses 4 and 5. The second, the pledge of adoption in verse 6. And third, the privileges of adoption in verse 7. The first point, the price of adoption in verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Here, think about this fullness of time that had come. I hope you understand, even as you think through diligent and frequent prayers in your own life, that God has a very different view of time than we do. Right? A, thousand, a day is like a thousand years, and a year, a thousand years is like a day. Right? That you think about how uh, the, the time frame of a man's life, we're told, is 70 years, or 80 years is due to strength. But for God, 70 to 80 years is really nothing. It's nothing at all to him. And think about how much time had passed. The promises that he made in the garden to Adam and Eve after they fell. The promises that God made to, to Abraham. The promises of the gospel. The giving of the law. Even as we hear in, in Galatians chapter 3. That 430 years later God gave the law. But it wasn't as if he changed the principle. It wasn't now once by originated by grace through faith in Abraham. And then with the giving of the law through Moses. That somehow we changed to a workspace righteous. No, no. It's, it's continuing the same. It's by grace, through faith, that here God was saying, hey, there was once a family. The family was Abraham. And these people were many. And they were constituted a nation. The nation needs laws to follow, just as every nation needs laws. So the principle was still the same. It was by grace, according to faith. And God's timing is perfect. God is not in a rush. He is patient and long-suffering. And he sent Christ at the proper time. Think even about uh, the, the peripherals. Right? You had the Romans. You have this nation or this city state that was powerful. And they made roads everywhere because they went around conquering people. So they needed roads to, to move their, their massive siege works. Create a nice road system for people to walk on and to travel on for, for the sake of bringing the gospel. And strangely, these Romans, they, they didn't say, hey, anyone who speaks this old language is Greek, let him be anathema, we will speak Latin only. They allowed Greek to continue. So there's a common language. You think about the fullness of time, that God had many things planned. That he sent forth his son, born of woman. Born of woman. In order to be perfect, he had to be God. And in order to be a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice, he also had to be man. Think about the principle of an eye for an eye. It's not as if that principle is dead or wrong. That God's thinking, hey, if, if there's going to be payment made for you, then the payment has to be an equal payment. So that this God had to be man also. And so this Jesus of ours was born of woman. Jesus had to live the perfect life, so he had to be God. And he had to be man because he had to make payment for sinners. He had to make payment for humans. 
He was also born under the law, meaning that he would meet the righteous requirements of the law. That Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. It's not only the letter of the law. God requires of us the letter and the spirit of the law. That we talk about thought, word, and deed. So you think about this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. He's thinking entirely the letter. And Jesus' response to him is, hey, you're missing the spirit, right? You love, you love your wealth uh, more than God. And that's, that's the spirit of the law. And so here Jesus was born under the law. And we think about this question. God sent forth his son. We ask why. Why did he send forth his son? Here in verse 5, we have two explanatory clauses. One was in order to redeem those who were under the law. And the second is so that we might receive adoption as sons. So in order to redeem those under the law, God sent forth his son to redeem those under the law. So this redeeming is Christ dying on the cross. And, of course, the significance of these historic events. So a man died on the cross. Rome crucified all kinds of people. What's the big deal? I mean, however many hundreds or thousands of people they crucified, they, they crucified criminals. They generally didn't crucify Roman citizens. They crucified people who didn't have that status. And yet Jesus was crucified. And, and how is his death and his crucifixion significant to you and to me today, 2,000 years later? It was a substitutionary sacrifice. He died in the place of sinners. And if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, it means you're trusting he died in your place. That when you and I think about the good news of the gospel, what you and I are saying is when Jesus died on the cross, he died in my place. He died the place that I deserve to die. He died the death of a condemned criminal. And this was a costly payment. It was a costly payment. It wasn't chump change. It was God giving his son, his only begotten son. When we think about this very principle of, of adoption, it's not as if God didn't have a son. Right? You look at the story of Abraham. Abraham says, hey, God, what are you going to do for me? I don't have any children. My, my wife Sarah is barren. And, uh, and the only heir I have is this guy Eliezer of Damascus. And, and here we understand this adoption is, for some people, it was because of need. Abraham had no natural sons. God promised him a natural son. He delivered that natural son in Isaac. But God, it's not as if God had no natural son. His natural son is Jesus. And there's nothing insufficient. It's not as if he didn't have an heir. He did. It's in Jesus Christ. It's costly payment. God said, hey, I'm going to take this perfect son. And I'm going to send him to die on behalf of sinners. So that I might redeem those who are unnatural sons. The unworthy sons. And the good news is that all of you who are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that you can be forgiven of your sins. Wait a minute, you mean all the sins that I'm trying to hide from our God? 
You mean all the sins that you cannot hide from our God because he sees into the inner recesses of our hearts? Yes, even those sins. But he calls you that you would trust in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That you would repent, that you would forsake your sins. The gospel is this simple. Are you loving Christ more than your sins? You cannot hold on to both. Either you will forsake one and embrace the other, or vice versa. If you're going to follow Christ, you must forsake your sins and trust in Him. So we have this redemption by Christ. We also have this adoption as sons. So we might receive adoption as sons. Now what is this adoption? Think about it in terms of a human perspective. It's a child born not of natural descent of parents. And they become engrafted into a household. They become received as sons. And even in our society, there's an understanding when they interview you for adoption. They're going to ask you some question like, Well, this child adopted into your household, will he or she be treated as an equal? Will he or she receive an inheritance along with your other children? And the answer is, if you can't say yes, then it's like, well, wait a minute. Are are you understanding what this adoption means? In the Roman system, oftentimes it wasn't uh, adoption of children in infancy or young childhood. Oftentimes, it was adoption in adulthood. So someone who was powerful, who was wealthy, he didn't have an heir. Or he didn't have an heir he could trust, so to say. Meaning that he had uh, wild or rebellious children. He didn't trust them, and he, he needed someone And oftentimes it could have been a slave. You know, even Proverbs talks about a slave who is faithful to his master will share in the inheritance of sons. And in fact, sometimes when you have this adoption principle, even in the Roman system, that a natural born son could be disowned. Right? Hey, you've you've really messed up. And uh, you've dishonored the family name and you're done. Right? You're disowned. But according to the Roman system... Uh, a son that's, or daughter that's adopted, right, that they cannot be disowned. And they receive all the privileges and, and the rights of sons to carry on the family name, to, to be the manager of the inheritance that comes. And again, this adoption in the spiritual sense, not as if God had no son. He has the perfect son in Jesus Christ. And that God in adopting sinners into his kingdom was not out of necessity. Oh, no, I I have no one to to carry on my name. I have no one to represent me. I have no one to love. No, no, no. There's Jesus Christ. Perfect relationship with the Father. And God receives sinners out of his love and his free grace. Consider even the, the passage we read from Isaiah 43. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I was just talking to a brother earlier about how the Old Testament seems to mention uh, very, very little about this adoption. 
Uh, but, you know, we have some glimpses of it, even like in this passage here. Because you are precious in my eyes. The God's children are precious in his eyes. And it's not because there's anything inherently good about us. It's not as if uh, there's something meritorious that we've done. Think about the, the promises of the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The God sees us as precious in his eyes for no credit of our own. We are by nature children of wrath. We can't claim any merits. And honored. That God honors us. He puts his own name upon us. You think about marriage. When you go to other countries, you don't find this principle of of a woman changing her last name to take uh, the name of a husband, right? See, that's that's a Christian principle. You go to other countries, they don't have that. Well, also here, regarding children, adoption. Someone is adopted, they take a new name, they take a new family name. They have to give up their old name. They take, take on God's name, and God says he puts his name on us. When you think about the, the different ties, you know, the history of the Roman Caesars, my, my friend was saying earlier about how men were adopted and they became Caesars. And then you think about the uh, political ties. Hey, you, you mess with the wrong person. Even though they're not blood ties, they're, they're adoption ties. Well, how much more so when you have the name of Jesus Christ applied to you. God says, hey, I've marked out this one as my own. Do you think it would be a small thing for someone to disturb the peace and the safety of God's children? Have you ever seen a mama bear upset? If you're between her and her cubs, you're in a dangerous spot and, and you ought to move. And you think about what God does for his children. Do you think that there would be protection? That God would say, hey, I am the avenger, right? You don't need to avenge those who have sinned against you. <laughs> leave, leave that to him who is the protecting father. And that as, as his adopted children, we can trust God. You know what? I'm getting out of the revenge business. It pays very poorly. Right? And there is much burnout and no satisfaction in that occupation. We leave the revenge business to our God. Have you ever heard this? I was even talking to my, my mailman. He stopped, he stopped by. He's been our mailman since we've lived there eight years. And we tried to share the gospel with him. And he sees all my mail. I'm sure he's... he's Surprised by the type of things that come through my mailbox. Uh, but he, he knew that I was a minister because he was looking at my mail. And, and so he told us, hey, hey, I'm retiring. Yesterday was his last day after I don't know how many, 30-something years. And he says, hey, after all this, he, we had given many invitations to come to church. He's, he's a Roman Catholic. And, uh, and his, his statement was, hey, uh, you know, everyone has God as their father. I thought about this, and I said, hey, can, can a non-Christian claim God as their father? It's certainly not the same as, as a Christian. And, and here, I thought about it. They can only claim God as father because God is creator. Mm-hmm. Meaning that God made them. 
right? God conceived them, that, that God gave life to them. So in that regard, God is the father of all. But none of them, none of them can claim the inheritance of heaven. That God is creator to them, God is judge to them, but God is not their adopted father. Because this previous statement, to redeem those who were under the law, that God sent forth his son outside of Christ. You see, our adoption comes through Christ. That outside of Christ, we have no father in God. It's because we are adopted sons to the perfect work of Jesus Christ. We receive by faith that we've been adopted into his family. Perhaps also you're wondering, well, been in this series, this order of salvation, why are we belaboring it? We think about the various events of redemption, that there is effectual calling. And an effectual calling that, that God is calling us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, into a saving relationship with him. And in justification, dealing with God as judge, that he pardons us. But is there anything in the order of salvation that gives us what we have in adoption? The answer is no. It doesn't. There's nothing else there. Adoption is what gives us these exceedingly great privileges. And the rights as sons that God bestows on us our inheritance. And we're also told in, in the verses to come this, this spirit of adoption, the giving of the Holy Spirit. So this is the first point, the price of adoption. It's the price of Christ's precious blood. We have the second point, the pledge of adoption in verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Here, this giving of the spirit manifested in two ways. One, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and that gives us a new nature. We have a new nature in Jesus Christ. And the second thing is that God sending the spirit of his son into our hearts is a pledge of our inheritance. So this new nature, Romans 8:14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You think about adoption in the human sense. Human parents can show love and give gifts and give an inheritance but what they can't do is change the nature of their children. And how, how many sad stories do we know of where, strangely, these adopted children, a great picture of the gospel, but you have adopted children that are brought in, and strangely, they don't resemble their adoptive parents that raised them from infancy. They resemble, strangely, their biological parents they had uh, no relation with that they were abandoned or they were given up for adoption, and somehow they, they become like their biological parents. So this giving of the nature doesn't happen in this human adoption. Yet in God's adoption of us, that he changes our natures. You think about the, the promises that he has given us, that God is one who creates in us a new nature. That those who have the Spirit freely accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. 
that the, one, the things that we once hated doing, we love doing now. And the things that we once hated, or the things we loved, we no longer love, that we forsake. There's also the matter of the pledge of your inheritance. So what is this pledge? A pledge is something given or held as security to guarantee payment of a debt or fulfillment of an obligation. That God has given us the spirit as a pledge of our inheritance. That we're told that in Jesus Christ, you have in him every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That he is your deposit guaranteeing what will come come to you in heaven. That everything that, that Jesus shares with you, that this deposit, this, this spirit of adoption, this Holy Spirit is, hey, I'm giving you this deposit because this is my promise, this is God's promise, that everything I promise that you will receive, you will receive. And this is the Holy Spirit as proof of that. There's also this matter of this subjective assurance. Ask yourself, how do we know that we're children of God? It's the subjective assurance that the Holy Spirit testifies in your heart that we are children of God. And perhaps you're asking, well, wait a minute. It's a subjective assurance. So can that subjective assurance be wrong? Certainly one, one can be deceived. But one has to look at the, the outward evidences. Right? You look at the outward evidences. You know, a question such as, do you have fatherly affections towards our God? A simple question. Do we desire to do what is pleasing to the Father? That our sins grieve the Holy Spirit. They grieve God the Father. And are we troubled when we grieve Him? Do we think about the things that are pleasing to Him? Do we live in such a way uh, that's according to our brother who is Jesus Christ? So this is the subjective assurance and that pledge of adoption. So the third point, the privileges of adoption, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. Romans 8.15 For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So a slave obeys out of fear, out of the pains of punishment from the master. So their thought is, hey, I need to obey so I don't get whipped. I need to obey so that uh, I'm not destroyed. And so I ask you, do you obey God primarily because of the fear of consequences? Like some kind of karma is going to come around and get you. Well, if I don't do better, I then, you know... I'm going to, something's going to come and get me. And you obey God primarily because you fear the burning fires of hell. Hey, I, I want to follow Jesus because I just don't want to end up in hell. Well, that, that's only going to go on for so long, right? Think about fear. Fear fear's not a very good motivator. And, and God doesn't primarily use fear. In Romans, Romans 2, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, Right? It, it has to be hey, this, this just God who is wrathful. Why, why would we even think 
that we could confess our sins, right, candidly, unless He has made us this promise that all who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ will be forgiven. Part of believing God at His Word is, you know what, God, you promised that if we come clean and confess to you and repent and turn from our sins, that you will receive us. And that is what He does. And that we ought to obey Him no longer out of fear, but out of love. Love is a much better motivator for us. A son obeys the Father out of love, not out of fear. Remember the the parable of the prodigal son? Who was the prodigal? Was the younger son or the old son? You know, whatever's the case. The older son. There's something revealed about him when he heard the celebrations about his younger brother who returned. Luke 15, 29. Luke, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Luke, these many years I have served you. So it's as if he was saying, hey, look all these years I've slaved away in pain, in agony, in, in grief and sadness. Father, I've served you. What is it that he's missing? He's missing the thought, Father, it is a privilege to serve you. It is my joy to serve you. That's exactly what he was lacking. This, he's, Jesus was addressing these Pharisees and he was saying, hey, you guys have no joy in serving the Lord. You contrast that to, think about this man Jacob, right? He, he was dealing with this untrustworthy fellow Laban, right? Who does this switcheroo, right? But he says, hey, seven years working, seven years for Laban, we're told. And it seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. I mean, hey, seven years with nothing. I was like a few days, right? Because he loved this woman. And so also, loving God the Father, that we would say, forsaking privileges, hey, these neighbors of mine, they refuse to talk to me. Because I share the gospel with them. And they're upset with me. Because I identify with the name of Christ. Let it not be our, our own ineptitude. Let it not be our, our unkindness or lack of charity, lack of our graces. But if it's because of Christ that we're rejected, we say, well, shoot, you know, that's okay. What, what about the, uh, the promotions at your workplace? These are all things that, hey, uh, these are small sacrifices. But we're following Jesus Christ our Lord. Here, oftentimes, Christianity is criticized in the world. So we kept on talking about sons here. And because you are sons, and you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Often do you hear, hear this all the time, you Christians are a bunch of women-hating misogynists. Do you hear this? I hear this all the time. It's like, hey, man. Is that just the, one of the biggest lies, right, uh, from the world? Nothing could be further from the truth, right? You look at, you look at Christianity, right? What, what religion is there in this world that has a higher status for women than Christianity? There is no other one, right? And then people say, no, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, you guys insist that your women stay home, and they're not allowed to go outside and work. Oh, wait a minute. 
Let's think about this for a moment. Is that a privilege? Right? You think about the, the, the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt. Right? All, all their women were forced to work. Right? We, we have a high, high view of marriage. High view of, of mothers. Right? That, that this is not um, a forbidding as it is. Hey, this is a privilege. That this is good work they do. Right? The, the, the dividends paid for motherhood may not be seen for years. Right? But that's far more important than, than, uh, than earning money per se. Right? So we think about, hey, this, this shouldn't be reason for us to think that Christianity is women hating. Right? That they're not accepted as equals. Think, think for a moment about some of, some of the principles by which we stand on. That never, never does God call women inferior men, right? So you, you think about your interactions, men, your interactions with your sisters, your interactions with uh, your wives, that never are, are women to be treated as inferior. You think about uh, the claim, any of you men, you think that you are superior, right? Think back to the garden, right? Genesis chapter 2, that God put Adam in the garden and he provided him a helper, meaning that he, he was in need of help, that this man Adam was in need of help. Even before he sinned, he was in need of help. Huh? How about that? This is what you need. And I think back to some of the men I knew from seminary. And, and we all had a good laugh at this. There were very few single men, but the single men that we knew, we, we simply had said, man... That guy is so much more capable than us married men that the Lord had to provide us help. Otherwise, we, we would never make it. So you think about the equality. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's nothing there stated about inferiority, nothing at all. And then you think about the privileges and the inheritance and the rights. Certain countries, women could not inherit property. They couldn't inherit these things. But we're told that men and women are equally inheritors of eternal life, of heaven. 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. A fellow heir of the grace of life. This is equality, right? What, what other religion has this, right? What about the testimony of a woman? Right? Certain countries, certain nations, hey, Testimony in court of a woman is not valid. But here, you think about the, in the church when, when difficulties happen, right? A woman's testimony is valid. The, the concerns, the privileges, the, 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 the rights of a wife are valid. We have also here a son, then an heir of God and co-heirs with Christ. You realize you and I have no inheritance unless Jesus our Lord, our brother, was willing to share his inheritance with us. Because he shares with us, we have an inheritance. And what Jesus said when he left, he told his disciples, I'm going to a place to prepare before you. I'm going to heaven to prepare that place for you so you have a place. And that you and I, by faith, are called to believe him as Lord Jesus. You went there to prepare a place. When you come back, you'll bring us to the place that you prepared. 
This is good news. This is good news for sinners. Elder Wayne mentioned earlier, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Here, have you stopped to think about the concept of God's love for children? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. You and I should be marveling all the time. And we should wonder, wait a minute, God, this is what we deserve. You think about the, the younger son and the prodigal parable. Make me as one of your hired servants. He understood what he did wrong. It's it like he was saying to his father, give me my inheritance as I wish you were dead. I wish you were already dead, so just give me what I'm waiting for. And after he burned it all up, he realized the offense that he committed against his father. And he said, make me as one of your hired servants. And he says, I certainly deserve no better than that. But here, in the good news of the gospel, God says, no, 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 you, you who have offended me, you, you who have done everything against me in defiance, God, by his grace, says, no, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to forgive you. Oh, can, can I just grovel for the rest of my life in that prison cell? No, 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 no. I'm going to give you an inheritance, and I'm going to bestow my love upon you that is unmerited. But this is good news for sinners, and may it be good news to you each day, that behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. May we go to our God together and pray.